Welcome to a special DOD to AEC episode of Inspiring People and Places, where throughout the month of November, we are interviewing veterans across the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industries. As always, our goal is to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. But more importantly this month, our goal is to highlight career paths of those who served in our military and continue to make an impact after military service in our industry. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, a service-disabled veteran-owned small business focused on advising public and private clients with strategy, planning, program management, and construction management support services. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, Inspiring People in Places, it's November, which is our salute to service, or as we call it, DOD to AEC. And today's guest is a friend, a client, former active duty captain, and a current civilian in the in the Air Force. So not everybody jumps from active duty into the private sector. There's a number of folks I know that uh, transition from active duty and and maybe either seamlessly entered the civilian workforce inside of DOD or found civilian um, civil servant work with the Corps of Engineers or with with port authorities or agencies in the built environment. So I'm excited for us to talk with our guest today, Matt Bell. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you, BJ. Appreciate uh, being here. It's great to have you, and, and it, it'll be great to get your perspective because last year we had a gentleman, Anthony Strelitz, shout out to Anthony, who, who went from active duty engineer officer to the VA. You went from active duty and made the decision to kind of seamlessly transition to the civilian side of the Air Force, right? Yes. Yeah. So I talk to us a little bit about what you did on active duty and oh, actually maybe best so I, I we don't lose this is tell us exactly who you are in today you know what you're doing today at the joint base oh so who i am i'm matt i'm from pittsburgh originally entered the air force and had a a interesting path went to flight school that didn't work out i couldn't land i guess that's a problem then joined the, the air force civil engineer career field so i was glad that i stuck it out in school and, and got that degree as opposed to bailing out and uh, maybe doing another course. But so, yeah, I spent several years in active duty, did a bunch of cool things, did some deployments to different places. And half the time you don't know where you're going until you get there and you you figure it out and, and like, oh, okay, this is hot and dry and dusty, but uh, wasn't loud, not a lot of shooting going on. So I didn't do much in that stuff, but but went to some neat places and did some neat things and gained some perspective that way. From that standpoint, was I remember Red Horse? Is that is that so Red Horse is a subset of Air Force Civil Engineering. I wasn't specifically Red Horse. I did a bunch of the stuff that they do. The the deployable aspect of uh base level civil engineering is called Prime Beef. It stands Prime for, Beef. Yeah. And Red Horse is like a temporary job. You go there for a couple of years, come back using the same skill stuff. The Red Horse don't have the responsibility for maintaining a base. They go out and do, and they come back and train. Prime beef is maintenance of stuff at home. And then when needed, you go out and do those kind of things. Prime beef's an acronym, right? Yes. What's it? What's it? I have no idea. I have no idea what prime is, but beef stands for base engineer emergency force. 
Gotcha. And then how about Red Horse? Rapid Engineer Deployable. And then I think the horse, they just tacked it on the end. Gotcha. Cool. So you made the decision to get off active duty and saw the opportunity in the civil sector to continue on the civil inside of a civil engineering organization as a civilian. Talk to us about that transition and, and how that came about. But well, it's, it's not what I expected. I was in, in the mode of going out there, dusting off a resume, met with uh, recruiters and, and signed into a recruiting company that does a lot of military work. So did a couple of those things where you go out and meet people. And then I, I found that they were starting to try and direct me and shape me into a certain track, which wasn't quite as interesting to me as what I thought I wanted to do. And then I I kind of had an epiphany and I said, you know what? Recruiters get paid for placing you. They don't get paid to make you happy. So that was one of those things that I figured out after a while. And then in the midst of looking for a job, I still had several months left uh, in the military. My boss asked me to do something that was going to take me out of the ability to interview and things like that. And so I, I had a good chat with him. And, and so he was so he was a full colonel. And was he was actually the senior colonel on base. He wasn't the wing guy, but he had a lot of clout. And I said, sir, I, I'd love to do that for you. It had to do with prepping a team for doing something. And I said, but, you know, I have a bunch of interviews scheduled and stuff going on because, you know, I, I got to find a job. And he said, what if you don't need a job? And I said, well, OK, I'm listening. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll see what I can do. Maybe we can pull you into civil service. And I said, well, I, I definitely consider that. And so. That turned into kind of a job offer. They use something called the Veterans Readjustment Act, which streamlines the process of going military to private sector, not private sector, general schedule type stuff. And I, I just remember talking to, to my wife and I said, you know what, I'll do this for a while. This, this stops the clock running. So now I can re really find the perfect job for me because I'm not going to be looking for a paycheck in a few months. And so it seemed like a good idea. And uh, so I, I laughed like 30 years later, or I, I don't know, am I still looking for that other job because <laughs> I'm still there. Trying so, to figure out what you'll be when you grow up. Exactly. Uh, and tell us what exactly you do at the Civil Engineer Squadron. So right now I'm the Deputy Director of the 787th Civil Engineer Squadron. We have two CE, I'll use that as an abbreviation for Civil Engineer. And Civil Engineer means all disciplines, electrical, mechanical, structural, environmental everything at the Air Force calls it CE. So we do a lot. So our organization is centered on the traditional engineering type of stuff, uh, also environmental housing, and the, the traditional stuff uh, is programming projects, developing them, estimating them, coming up with, you know, planning type concepts. So traditional planning things and, and wraps that all up. So it's a lot going on. We have probably 170 employees in our organization. So uh, I'm the number two guy. I keep I try and keep the number one guy sane and do the stuff that he doesn't want to do. And so, yeah, it's a pretty good gig. We do 40 million a year in typical construction and then special projects that uh, lump on there that can be pretty, pretty big too. If it's a, like a new mission bed down or some special energy project or something like that. And then larger Milcon projects, you represent the installation, but a Corps of Engineers or Air Force civil engineering would oversee it? Yes. How does that so work? We, we take that from a requirement. Somebody needs something or there's a new mission or 
a building that we just can't fix and we need to replace it. Control Tower Lakers, perfect example. We build the project, estimate it, advocate for it. And advocation means not only doing the paperwork, but teaching the people who represent that mission set how to push for it. If the engineers ask for a new control tower, it goes up so far and it just is on a list. You've got to get the people who run that mission to get excited about it and engage through their channels. And so you have pilots fighting for a new control tower instead of an engineer fighting for it, or not instead of both of them. And right. So you try and fight those requirements up because you're competing across the, the whole the whole um, enterprise. Everybody needs something, so you got to push it to the point where it starts getting some attention. That's great. So to try and help translate an an Air Force installation, like any installation, and and those listening understand that a military installation, a base, a post, is not unlike a city or a municipality. And there's utilities, and there's infrastructure, there's roadways, there's buildings, and there's tenants, tenant missions of those buildings. Uh, you brought up housing. We've talked about privatized housing and and the interactions that you're representing um, there. You've got the energy spend and trying to figure out how to how to help at your local installation level become greener, more sustainable, more resilient, fit in inside of the policies. So you're juggling all of those different requirements of day-to-day operations while helping your your installation become, you know, a an installation of the future. And I don't mean that in the in the grand terminology because I think that's become a moniker of a future goal, but you're trying to trying to keep the installation progressing and modernizing towards the future. Yes. And, and all of that falls on you. Uh, mostly, yeah. Anything infrastructure related. There's other people that are focused more on maintenance and keeping stuff running. We're trying to recapitalize and, and replace the stuff that's getting too expensive to maintain with new and figure out different novel ways to do that. There's different ways to do that other than just asking for money. Talk to us about some of those things. Uh, I think it's I think that's a worthy exploratory to to let people know that you know our our government is trying to be you know smarter about how we how we spend money. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, our budget's like forty million. We've got a lot to do with forty million, and there's a lot more requirements than that. So we we try and leverage other tools. Energy savings performance contracts are a big one. We've got we've got quite substantial one going now it's in construction phase and and just the the scope of that we've got 32 solar rooftops installed that are going to offset electric uh, electrical consumption across the board so if that stuff starts really putting out and and it's working now we've got some ground mounts that are also part of that contract process that's a dla contract process it's a it's a non-far contract so it's a little different you need uh different types of people to run that but we can probably offset most of the electrical consumption for McGuire when that's all built up, you know, on a lower demand day. Um, 430 some buildings getting light retrofits, uh, boiler work, controls work, a lot of stuff in controls. It's it's a little difficult in the federal space to push forward with controls because, you, you know, you can have the latest, greatest controls apparatus or equipment and software combo, but the 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 cyber aspect of it is something that makes it a little more difficult because as you can imagine, DOD is pretty selective with 
what they allow to be put on their backbone. But ESPCs are great because there's no upfront. You basically validate a proposal that will install equipment and other things and control settings and all that. And you validate the savings that come from that. And then instead of fronting the money, it's it's amortized over 25 years, slightly less than that. And so if you're going to save a million dollars a year, and then you agree with that contractor that you'll pay 900000 for that. So you pay less than your savings. So you're making money, so to speak. But it's it's paying the bill, which is a traditional cost of materials, equipment, and all that stuff for the contractor, but also the financing costs because it's a longer-term deal. So when you get into it, you do an audit and try and figure out if it's, if it's functional and if it works. And in our case, it was so that the contractor can successfully build out. They can... They can make their profit and we can do our savings. So theoretically, it's a win-win type thing. And and to save our our audience from having to Google ESPC, it's Energy Savings Performance Contract. You touched on DLA, which is Defense Logistic Agency. Yes. And you mentioned FAR, which is Federal Acquisition Regulation. So no, many man. of our audience will will understand that, but I wanted to, to clear those up. And essentially, I, I mean, we've we've interacted on EUL and energy savings performance contracts and EULs enhanced use lease, um, which is essentially all of these are are essentially public private partnerships where to your point, you're leveraging their capability and their financing ability, uh, your utility spend or the cost of doing business today, they're helping modernize some portion of the project, generating a savings through that modernization and then using the savings to offset the financing costs. You nailed it. So how how familiar were you with that? How 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 much fun was it getting to understand that world and, and interact with those types of projects? Well, it's I, I started. We had one on on base two thousand nine. It started two thousand twelve. I was involved peripherally, and then changed jobs a little bit, and then started acquiring that as part of for us part of the portfolio I was managing. And then we inherited the Fort Dix had an ESPC as well. So we had one Air Force, one Army, and had to kind of manage them both independently. And uh, it was difficult then, not to belabor it, but we had a DOD audit where um, they sent people in who came in who didn't really understand how these things worked and thought it was a contract. And it, it is, but it's, it's not. So as part of that, I, I, you know, I personally had to go through all these DLA training classes and as online classes. So I had to educate myself on all this stuff. So I knew what I was talking about and understood what I was reading. And it's difficult because it is a lot different than most of the other mechanisms that the federal government uses to acquire things. So pretty complicated and, and a lot of computer-based training, which is always fun, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, a. uh, a heavy, a heavy lift to say, but if anybody's interested in that space, I'd say that stuff's kind of out there and available. And just brushing up on some of the basic ones and understanding how they work uh, puts people in a better position to engage in a conversation on it. That's great. One, one of the things I want you to hit on is as as people may be transitioning off active duty and and looking at civil service versus maybe private sector. What are some, I know you, you joke that, you know, you blinked and 30 years went by and you're still trying to figure out what, you know, what that job is, but 
you've had a lot of upward mobility in in the department, in the civil engineering squadron. I know that you've enjoyed a lot of the work and the people that you've worked with. Talk to us about some of the benefits and, and joys of being a civil servant. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's still hard to find people. Our, our, you know, some of the technical segments is, is very competitive. So we struggle with that. And the Air Force and DOD in general doesn't do a great job of recruiting people. We don't have those recruiters who would go out there and, and headhunt, so to speak. So we rely on traditional means. And a lot of times that's people web surfing and things like that. So I, I, I'll do an anecdote on this. So we had uh, a recent hire that came in about a month ago, and they had really, really diverse, cool experience. Not an engineer, what we would call more of an engineering assistant or construction management type. And so I'm, I'm not sure how he came about. I think it was word of mouth. An old coworker of his worked, started working for us a couple of years ago, and they talked. And so he came in. And, uh, you know, made through the process. And we had like a meet and greet with myself and his boss and him. And he'd been there for two weeks, still wasn't fully up to speed because you got to get credentialed and all that stuff. I was just chatting with him. I asked him, you know, why, what made you consider moving over to civil service? Because I figured whatever he tells me is something I can share with people and point out. And a lot of the things that he said, I kind of anticipated, you know, the, the regular work schedule and, and, this business can be very demanding. And, you know, my boss was private sector and he's burning 60 hours a week and, and, you know, he switched over and, uh, you know, there are times when, when we do that and, and usually you don't have to be told to do that. You know, that cause you know, what's going on and you just, you, you just put the time in because there's a, you know, the higher calling type thing, but generally you can manage your time and the flexibility that we offer with day-to-day scheduling, you know, we can work different lengths of shift for a day and, and do a day off every couple of weeks and balance that off. We still have, you still have to have 40 hours, but you can balance that. That's very, very helpful. And I think the climate in general for somebody that's, you know, whatever point in life they are, they're, they're, they're trying to make sure they have their own work-life balance. And I think you know, in, in our organization and in other aspects of civil service, you, you can pretty much manage that. You're not getting called at midnight because, you know, a boiler alarm went off and they need somebody to go somewhere and go look at it and things like that. So that's one of the things. But and those are the types of things that this gentleman was attracted to. He just got tired of it and said, I need some regularity in my life. But it was quite interesting because it said, OK, are you sure you know how to how the health benefits works? I'm not a benefits counselor. I can give you the phone number and the website and stuff like that. But just know that it's out there. Went through all that stuff. And it said, Did they explain how the pension works. And so this guy's really, really talented, sharp guy. He's like pension. And I said, yeah, you know, the, the, the FERS and Federal Employee Retirement System. I said, it's, it's, it's basically a formula where you calculate a number of different variables, constants, all that stuff. And then when you retire, if you reach those eligibility, eligibility requirements, then you can expect to, you know, have a monthly pension. And he's like, I, I didn't know about that. He got, he took that job because he looked at the salary, the health benefits and, and the work life stuff and said, I need to make this change. And I said, so, okay, let's say, you know, I gauged he was mid thirties. I said, you want to work for 25 years and did some quick mental math. And I said, you're probably going to pull, you know, 25% of your paycheck at that time every month. And he just looked at me. He's like, are you kidding me? And I said, no, nobody told you that. He said, no. 
And and I said, how's the how's the conversation at the kitchen table going to be tonight? He's like, it's going to be pretty good. So next time I saw him, I said, your wife was pretty psyched about that. I said, yeah, she was. So, but and the flip side, we don't do a great great job of of pointing out the different types of positive aspects that that we have for our line of work. Yeah, I I think there's also, you know, I know a few people that transition off active duty got into the civil service and and kind of got exposure to a whole bunch of problem sets from the owner's side and then kind of found their way into a specialty where they said oh i really like this part of the work that we're doing and and jumped off into the private sector or in some cases started their own business so i think when you're on the owner's side and you show ambition and a, a level of excitement towards the work you can also kind of start owning more and more problem sets and or have kind of fast upward mobility is that fair to say i think so and 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 one of the things about our structure is is it's relatively predictable it's not you know if i do this job then i do a good job then i can advance can advance here and then move up a little bit or over and and that's true there's some people that really want to do get into some specialization and if if that's just not quite possible in our environment then that's the kind of person that that takes that and then goes and moves private sector and takes that with them and uh, and then goes down that track and and uh, typically does pretty well quite honestly you know once they get that experience i want to switch gears a little bit to leadership you've you've been in the organization for a while. You're now the number two in the organization. Talk to us about some leadership lessons that you might have learned on active duty that have, you've been able to apply to the civil sector and and leading civil servants. Yeah, there's well, there's a bunch. So one of the things that 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 comes up periodically, and it's it's going back a ways, and I'll try and make it so it's not too military centric, but you know the fact that so much of what we do is so bureaucratic you know anytime anybody has a touch point with the dmv or the federal government or the irs it's you you get mired in that bureaucracy and it's something we fight all the time and we we still do that but had uh i I had a wing commander who that's the person who's in charge of the air base they're kind of the wing king they call them so that describes it we had a new gentleman come in colonel lorenz was the new guy and, and he was interested in the engineering stuff you want to know what was going on what we're doing so at that point you're like oh great he wants a meeting every week with the engineers that means we got to build all these slides and all these briefings and figure out what we're going to tell them so we went into that with some trepidation like okay more workload right and then we had a couple of those and we realized he just wanted to know what was going on and figure out how he could help us so like okay this is getting a little better sat in a meeting and went around, had different topics. And I was a junior officer at the time. So I'm kind of like at the end of the table and uh, went around and what do you got working on? And I, I can't remember the topic. I said, sir, I said, we're building this package to achieve whatever. We need your approval as the installation commander. You're the only person that can sign off on this. So we're doing this stuff. Just want to give you a heads up, tell you a little bit about it. And then once we push the package up through four layers of you know, interim commanders, executives, the whole bit, people who are looking for something to correct. 
I said, you know, we're staffing the package for you. And he saw I had it there and I had it there. So if he asked a question, I could leaf through it and tell him the answer. And he said, well, what is it? A letter? I said, yes, sir. And he goes, do you have it? And I said, yes, sir. I have it here. It's in the draft. bag." He said, let me see it. And I just slid the letter down. He looked at it, skimmed it, put his pen out, signed it and slid it back. And I, he read my, my look and I'm like, what just happened there? And, and he said, he goes, if I can't trust you to develop something that I need to authorize, then I'll fire you. And I paused and I said, <laughs> yes, sir. And went back and went back to the office and said, hey, I just got this letter signed. We don't have to staff any of this stuff. People were like, are you kidding me? And it was a little intimidating at first, but you know what? That guy, that was, that was a very empowering moment. And, and I talk about that because we still tend to get get mired down in these bureaucratic processes and and it teaches us we really have to trust people if you if you have them working in a position and they're they've they've got the right background they've got the right experience and attitude to work on it you get just got to let them go do their thing and and 99% of the time it works out fine and that 1% you can always figure out and I point out that guy he retired as a four star so I think he knew something that I'd say so Inspiring People and Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people and places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Switching to some rapid-fire questions, any favorite quotes? Favorite quotes? That's a funny one. Um... So I think my favorite all-time quote is Patrick Henry. I know not course what others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death for something that that resonated with me for a long time. And the reason it pops up is as we had our second child, and I have three, so I have a one-year-old. My wife just delivered the second one, and she's kind of a little bit, let's just say she's a little tired out. And they were talking about names. And so I I was like, I'd been waiting to spring this on her when her guard was done. I said, how about Patrick Henry? And she's like, I, I don't care what you do. And so yeah, <laughs> that's my middle kid's name is Patrick Henry is his first and middle and he loves it. So, you know, that's great. How about favorite book? Favorite book. Oh man. I read really dry books, military yeah. history books. I like anything by Tom Clancy. Occasionally some leadership stuff will strike me. But that's a that's a tough one to uh, to to pick. I read a lot, so that's that's hard. Another answer. benefit of being a civil servant, you get to read a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have dinner with three people that are alive, who would they be? Three people who are alive, dead or, uh, I would, dead, or dead or alive, dead or alive. So, yeah, he's like a Jesus Christ. That would be that's fine. That would be phenomenal. Are they at the same dinner table? Because I've yes. Like, oh yeah, I think Donald Trump fascinates me for a number of reasons. I love this uh, already. Jesus and Donald are going to have. Yeah. So the, the the third one, that would be quite interesting. I would say my wife. Good because, move. Yeah, you know why? She'd be like, <laughs> "You invite me to dinner with Jesus and Donald Trump." <laughs> What do you want your legacy to be? I think as a good husband and father, I think there's nothing more important than 
and having that as your legacy. Because if you do those things right, and then the other stuff starts falling in as well, you know, the friendships you build, your relationships with your family and things like that. I found the people that have that stuff all nailed down are the people that uh, I admire and I enjoy working with. So yeah, if you, if you nail that down, then, then you're doing okay. Awesome. And then close us out. You get to be the poster boy for civil service and civil engineering in the air force and, and probably representative of civil engineering or, or engineering profession across the, the public sector. What advice would you have to to veterans considering joining civil service? I think I think it's a good transition. Veterans, we we veterans who come in already understand some of the culture. Culture issues are hugely important in the military and they vary by service, but you can adjust. So understanding culture, process, procedure and things like that and then also the aspects of leveraging prior military service. You can use that to contribute to that retirement that I was talking about. I bought back some of my time and we'll get credit for it on the, the retirement end. So I think it's a great thing. And at the you know, at the end of the day, some of what we do in, in our career field in general is I can I can drive around and go and show my kids or a, a guest on base a building and be like, I was a project manager. I built that building. Isn't that cool? The fact that we can do that and leave that as kind of a brick and mortar legacy in a way is I think really neat as well. I agree. And and to not to take the last word, but I think a lot of veterans are looking for fulfillment. And I think this is a way to continue to enable missions to happen and support warfighters by, you know, managing and supporting and building the built environment that that they go and execute those missions on. I know that, you know, Joint Base McGuardix Lakehurst, where you're at, is is a power projection platform there's a lot of important stuff that's going on there and coming out of there going overseas and and you really are enabling those missions to to continue to do what they do for us so i think that's a that's a meaningful role and i know that you and and chris and the team at jbmdl do it well and take it seriously oh thank you yeah we've got a lot of good people a lot of good things going on and a lot of good partners you know anything we build we don't build anything bigger than a shed, quite honestly. So <laughs> we have to we have to have partnerships with companies that know how to do that stuff, not only to bring the capability, but expertise in certain areas too. So we fully, fully realize that. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us. Appreciate what you do and appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being invited. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.